Hi, welcome to the Phoenix Athens podcast. Our mission at Phoenix Athens is to make disciples who experience, enjoy, and display God's love and glory. Our goal with this podcast is to provide a way for you to learn and grow with us as a church body. If you're more visual, you can watch these sermons on our YouTube channel linked below. We hope this episode encourages and edifies you. Thanks for tuning in. And so today we're going to talk about just what it means to be set free. Yeah, let's go, let's go. That's a really good thing. Uh, but when we talk about being set free, that's an undercover way of talking about a ministry that kind of makes people cringe when they, hear it, when they hear someone say it. And they talk about, it's, it, what I'm talking about is the ministry of deliverance. Did anybody just kind of like, I don't, uh. Let me, yeah, let's just be honest. How many of you, when you hear deliverance ministry, just raise your hand. I know this is awkward. I'm the only one looking at you, so don't look side to side. It just makes you feel weird, like you've been exposed to something negative when it comes to deliverance ministry. Carl is bold. Okay, okay, they're slipping up. Okay, good. I hope today to, to, to bring some biblical clarification to this idea of deliverance. Because let me say this. Deliverance is actually a beautiful term. And it points to the freedom from demonic oppression that Jesus himself died for. So there should not be ugly. And let me help to sweep the ugly off of this word deliverance. And if you don't like the word deliverance, just say set, setting people free. That, that, if, if that's you, that's you. Most, though, let me say this. Most of us, because I, I would have raised my hand. I'm telling you, I have seen the, the, the televangelists. Hey, four installments of 995, and I'll get rid of those demons. Call in. We've got operators waiting. Right? Run. Run. I have, I've experienced the negative side of deliverance. But let me say this, most are put off by the term deliverance largely due to the desire of, to avoid being associated with those who have done a poor job of facilitating genuine freedom from enslavement to the enemy's tactics. And I trust, in Jesus' name, I trust that this series that we've been walking through and even today would restore your thinking and a biblical understanding of this blessing that we call deliverance or setting people free. And provide some practical steps. At the end, we're going to walk through just a practical model of what we could do. And I will say where we're going as a church. Because this will be a ministry that is available to people that say, man, I feel like I may be, something's going on in my life and I'm not sure what it is. I think there might be some demonic influence in my life. I may, I, maybe you're battling with some demonic oppression. Can I just be honest? Like, there's no, there's no shame in that. Jesus is here to set you free. Yeah. Isaiah 61, right? The Spirit of the Lord is on him. It anointed him for what? To set the captives free and to do a lot of other cool stuff. That's not the only thing we do. That's one of the really cool things that Jesus has given us to do as children of God. So let me start with this question because this is an important one. And Nate kind of referred to it last week. When it comes to our identity, when, when you are bought and paid for and you are a son or a daughter of the king, it comes with a lot of stuff that you may not even realize. There's a lot of presents under that Christmas tree that you may not even realize are yours. Some of them you don't really want to open because it involves you actually stepping into some uncomfortable stuff. Don't forget, he said that he was once reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, and now he's giving us that ministry of reconciliation. Some of you, that's been a present under your Christmas tree that you've never opened. You've never taken the, the ministry of reconciliation and actually done anything with it. 
And this may be one of those Christmas presents that it's time for you just to step in and to open. So the question I have is, do you, beloved, believe that Christians should engage in deliverance ministry? Okay, why? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, I, I am, I just, I'm going to let me play devil's advocate. Where in the Bible? <laughs> she just said, yeah, Mark? Uh-huh. What does that say? <laughs> Amen. Okay. Does everybody agree with him? That could have been a lie. Did anybody open their Bible? We have been free. Okay. So you're using the word of your testimony. Okay. All right. Yes, Clint. I, for the recording's sake, he, he referenced Mark 16, which is Mark's version of the Great Commission, which we'll read here in a little bit. Uh, and it can make some people uncomfortable, right? I was a Great Commission guy. I was a missions pastor for multiple years, and never did I ever really use Mark's version of the Great Commission when I convinced people to mobilize, because it says some things in Mark's version that are uncomfortable. And we'll get to those, because they're actually exciting. When you uncover it, and you just, you're really all in, you're like, yeah, man, I want to do it all. Whatever you tell me to do, Jesus, I'm in. Yeah. It becomes exciting. So I would agree. Do Christians, are Christians, or I'm sorry, let me just reiterate the question, and then I'll, I'll give you my answer. Do you believe Christians are called to engage in deliverance ministry? Most of you said yes. I just heard a really sweet yes. Who said that? <laughs> Who is that? Heck yeah, Sir Henry. That is it. Look, raise them up in the way they should go and they'll never depart from it. In Jesus' name. Yes, Sir Henry, I would agree with you. And we'll talk about all the scripture behind why uh, I agree with you. The best place for us probably to answer that question is to look at Luke 10. So if you would, stand with me, the honoring of the reading of the word of God. Turn to Luke 10. Let me just say this. A lot of the scripture that you're going to hear has been talked about for the last several weeks, and we're going to keep talking about it because it's important. So Luke 10, 17 through 22. I did not bring my Bible. Okay, there we go. Bring your Bibles to church. It says this, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus, help us to unpack this, God. We thank you that and you came to seek and save the lost, and you came, Lord, that we would walk in freedom, you came that we would have life and life to the full. Help us to grasp, Lord. Help us to grab a hold of the life that you died to give us. And Lord, let us not settle for anything else. No compromise in Jesus' name. God, help us to understand this topic of deliverance and seeing people set free. For it's a ministry, King Jesus, that we saw you model for us. And then after you modeled it, God, and most of us will say, but that was Jesus, right? He, he's awesome. He is our king. Of, he's the king of kings, lord of lords. You, 
You allow us, Lord, a picture of, of what it looks like in the book of Acts to see ordinary, everyday people exercising their authority that you've given them. It's by your name that the, the, the demons are subject. And you allow us to see them do it. Lord, and we know that the life that we live, or we are literally writing the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. That the book of Acts is not just a historical recording of what the church did, but it is what we are to do. It is, it is literally the prescription for the church today. In the same way we go to the doctor and say, man, I'm sick, and he writes a prescription for what we need to do to get better. In the same way you say, hey, go and be my witnesses, and here's the prescription. Here is what you need to follow, what you need to do. Now just give us the courage, God. Would you fill us afresh with your spirit? Baptize us afresh in your love and, and joy. Help us to delight in you, God. Scripture says you delight in us. You delight in us. This morning, we desire, Lord, to experience you and to enjoy you, that when we leave this place, we would better display you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't sit down yet. I know you, like, I got some of you. I'm going to ask a couple questions, and then I'll let you sit down in just a second. We'll just stretch it out, you know. Let me ask you this. What did they rejoice in? And the answer is behind me. They rejoiced in the fact that the demons were subject to what? To them in Jesus' name. And what did Jesus declare in return? Before that, he says, Behold, I have given you something. I have given you authority. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, I'm not going to let you sit down yet, because I, I, want, I have something I want to say. Please note that the 72 were just ordinary followers of Jesus. Right? The everyday, ordinary person. This is not the apostles. This is the 72, right? And they're just like me and you. And many today who deny the validity of deliverance ministry, insists that this was just a task given to the 12 to establish their apostolic authority and the truth of the gospel message entrusted to them. But I would say this. What we just read in, in, in Luke 10 uh, disagrees with those that I just described that would say, man, that kind of ministry, that kind of authority only belongs to the 12 original apostles. And some people will take that bait and say, he's right. And they, they forfeit their ministry that Jesus has died to give, them, to give them. Thousands and thousands and thousands who would claim to be people of the book will believe that, man, this was just reserved for these few people. Not just deliverance ministry, the gifts of the Spirit, so many other things. The ministry is for each of us. I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say, this ministry of deliverance is for you. Now turn to the other person and say the same thing. Amen. Okay, you can sit down now. I originally was going to call like a few people out and say, you stand up. This ministry is for you. And I was just going to go across until everybody stood up and then I realized we always struggle with time for sermons, so I'll just have everybody stay standing up. But it's true. 
that, Jamie, this ministry is for you. Thank you, brother. And Carl and Daniel, double portion. I know you love deliverance ministry. <laughs> and Nate, Connor, just go through all, everybody in the room. Assuming that you belong to Jesus. Yeah. Let me bring some clarity. Nate read a, Nate read a passage last week of a, of, of a few that tried to exercise uh, some demons out of somebody, and they didn't belong to Jesus. Do you remember the response of the demon? <laughs> said, hey, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but who the heck are you? And then it goes on to say that, that the demon inside of this guy overpowered all of them, stripped them naked, beat them up, and they all ran out naked and hurt. So don't think demons don't have power. But I bring that up just to say, this authority belongs to those who belong to Jesus. So you don't belong to Jesus in the room. I'm glad you're here, but I don't want you to leave not belonging to Jesus. And if you know me, I have a heart. I, I cry out for salvations. I want to see people know the Lord. And not just like, hey, I prayed to prayer, brother. Like, I, that, I, hey, if I can get you there, amen. But I want to see you walk in intimacy with God, delighting in him. I want you to know him. That when you tell people on the streets, no, it's not about a, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship that you actually understand what you're saying. And you're saying it from experience. Like, man, I know him. I People know when you're talking from a place of experience. That's right. yeah. So if you don't know Jesus in the room, again, I'm glad you're here. You're in a good place. But let's have a conversation. Let's just talk about spiritual things. I haven't always been a Christian. I didn't grow up in the church. But Jesus got a hold of me. And he can get a hold of you too. So playing off of this idea that Man, you guys are all called to this ministry of deliverance or setting the captives free or spiritual warfare, however you want to phrase it. I want to, uh, there was a, you know, we, we asked, we opened the floor and there were tons of questions asked and we've tried to answer them throughout each of the, the, the last couple of weeks where it was appropriate. And one of the questions was, is there, just, is there a special anointing for deliverance? And I would say, uh, my response is, there is no individualized, according to Scripture, right? People will tell you whatever you want. I, I'm sure the guy on the, te- the televangelist is telling you he is one of the few that is anointed for this. That's why you got to come to him. you got to drink from his water or else. And I'm telling you, there's nowhere in Scripture that says there is an individualized special anointing or gifting to set captives free. His name is Holy Spirit, and he is given to those who confess Jesus as Lord. But I will say this. I was at a conference uh, back in February, maybe, uh, out in Colorado. Uh, if you know me, when I don't have my hands on something, I don't understand it, I will go anywhere and everywhere to learn about it. I want to be, I just want to know. I'm a student of these things, and deliverance was a little uncomfort- uncomfortable for me, even as a pastor, at the beginning of the year. You guys know that in the life of our church, even in February during the outpouring, there were manifestations of the demonic on a nightly basis, Right, even over here, a guy crawling upside down, backwards. I mean, there were there was all kinds of stuff happening. A lot of you may not even know that that was happening because we tried to handle it in a private manner to honor the individual. But as we contend for revival, do not think, do not believe the lie that it will happen minus the attack of the enemy. He will try to derail what God is doing, and we saw it firsthand. If you guys remember, but I was at this conference and I. I sort of believe this idea that, man, maybe there are some people that are just like really anointed and that's just their thing. That's their ministry and we need to like point people to them, right? And one of the guys who uh, I really connected with, he was a, 
he came from the same denomination I came from, and, and, and deliverance ministry in general just surprised him because it happened in his church, and he had to figure it out. Like, he didn't have a great theological foundation for it, like, oh, this is what we need to do. It was just like, hey, this person's manifesting. Do we have a security guard tackle them and take them away and kick them out of the church, or do we, do we handle this in, like, a biblical, loving way? And they didn't do it on the Sunday morning. They did it later in his living room. But he went on to say some things about just this idea of the anointing for deliverance. So I just, again, I'm, I'm still playing on the fact that you are called to this. And one of the things that he really struck me is he talks about how deliverance, like in the beginning when he was in deliverance ministry and just, man, commanding in Jesus' name that whatever was oppressing this person leave, uh, he talked about how a lot, of his, a lot of his congregants needed therapy after their deliverance because it was aggressive, it was a power encounter, and he, didn't, he, he disregarded the heart that was in front of him. He disregarded the person because he just wanted to exercise the demon. He wanted to get the demon out at all costs. And a lot of times it left the person damaged. And then he realized in his years of doing it, he said, he said this, and I just thought it was significant and I wanted to say it when I, when I tell you that you are called to this. He said, the anointing for deliverance ministry is compassion. If you have compassion, you have the anointing. If you have the Holy Spirit, let me just go back to the capitals. If you have, you have Holy Spirit, you have the anointing. But it must be done with a heart of compassion for the person. So let me just give a few reasons. I've already alluded to a few of them. A few reasons why people avoid deliverance ministry. And you could probably give me four or five of your own because a lot of us in the room, this is uncomfortable. But I want you to pay attention. I want you to battle just getting weary and sleepy. Don't check out. This is important because there's going to come a time, again, when we're continuing for revival, there's going to come times when we need you to step in and to play your role. Right? In, in February, there were only a few people we knew of who were even comfortable. We're like, hey, get so-and-so, get so-and-so. But I want to be in a church where everyone's equipped for the work of ministry. Amen. Right? So don't be afraid of this. I hope to debunk that. I want you to be confident and eager to man, to stand as, a, as an ambassador for Jesus Christ and his kingdom and to know that you're victorious. And whatever may be oppressing you or your friend or whoever, man, it can be dealt with. And it can be dealt with in a loving and compassionate way. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's just talk about a few when it comes to uh, why people may avoid deliverance ministry. I assume that most feel ill-equipped to handle what happens. This, this kind of, I wrote this out of my own heart. What happens when the Holy Spirit confronts just the realm of principalities and powers? That unknown, right? Sometimes your mind even goes back to what you watch with the exorcist. Like, man, are they going to crawl on the ceiling and, like, knock me out? Are they going to throw me? Like, what's going to happen? All of the unknown, that, 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 just, that, that unknown fear typically leads people to just kind of want to avoid everything that has to do with deliverance. I'm going to be honest. This stuff is uncomfortable, unknown to a large degree, and kind of daunting. But here are just four uh, that I, I just, some of it is from me personally, and some of it is just from the things I've read and the research I've done. Number one, Christians avoid deliverance ministry because they have been offended by those who have taken, uh, ha have taken it to an unbiblical and damaging extreme. I've alluded to some, pay for this, or you see just wild power encounters that completely dishonor and disrespect the person who may be demonized. Or fill in the blank. I don't know what your experiences are, but Christians avoid deliverance because of a lot of the ugly that's on it because of other people. Not because of what Scripture says, but because of how people have handled it. 
Number two, Christians avoid deliverance ministry because they wrongly believe that deliverance ministry is, for, is a special ministry for special people with special spiritual gifts. Now, I just kind of alluded to that a couple minutes ago. You guys are special because you belong to Jesus. You are special because the Holy Spirit lives within you. There's no amen to that one? Amen. Don't forget that you'll, you'll be asked one day by the early saints of the Old Testament, what was it like? Hey, what was it like to live with the Holy Spirit inside of you? And I pray that you live a life that's worthy of saying, man, it was awesome. Let me tell you about all the things that God did. Hopefully you have a great answer when, when it's asked. Number three, Christians avoid deliverance ministry because they wrongly assume that Christians cannot be demonized. We addressed this in weeks prior. Go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, we believe they can be, and we believe Scripture would teach us that. Number four, Christians avoid deliverance ministry because they are afraid of encountering the demonic. Kind of what I just said, afraid of what may happen. Like, I just feel ill-equipped. Whatever happens in this room, I'm not sure. But let me reiterate something that I said a few minutes ago. Deliverance is a beautiful ministry that is aimed at setting free those who are dealing with some type of demonic oppression. And we have a choice. Do we respond in obedience and go after the freedom of the person or do we just, out of fear, say, hey, brother, sister, well, I'll pray for you. We'll see you later, okay? Hope that gets better. I, I, would, I would steer you away from that. Pray for them, certainly. Man, but grab their hand and run to the finish line and say, we're going to get through this together, right? We need brothers and sisters that are willing to do that because if you haven't seen, if you have not watched TV, if you've not turned on social media, the enemy is having his way, especially with the U.S., but all over the world. It is crazy how much demonic stuff is out there. And it's just being celebrated and normalized in the lives of our children and in your lives. Like, man, you got to have discernment. You have to protect what comes in. But the more that this happens, it's not, it's not like a, uh, oh, gosh, this is a surprise. We, we're told it's going to happen. Right? Things are going to get worse. But we have hope. And we're on a rescue mission. And we have the power to release people and to see them step in freedom. So hopefully, even as we're talking today, like, people's faces, you're like, oh, man, I want to I I go after, I want to talk to my brother, or whoever it is that the Lord's bringing to your mind that maybe you can minister to. And you, after today, after we talk through some of this, and I'll send all of this out in the midweek, especially the practical guide that we're going to talk uh, about at the end, just a, a good little model for deliverance ministry. I'll send all that out. Uh, but, man, I pray that you, that you just begin asking the Lord, and you have a sensitivity, and your eyes be open, like, Lord, use me how you want, Lord. Let's dive in. Let, let me take a minute and let's just look at Jesus' deliverance ministry. And let me just be honest, uh, by the way, Jesus is, he still remains our model for ministry. Don't, don't lose sight of that. He's still our, our model for ministry. He spent three years teaching and showing, hey, watch me do it, and now I'm going to watch you do it, and now I'm going to go home and you're going to do it. Like that's that's kind of how the Lord played it out, right? Like, follow me. Don't do anything. Keep your mouth shut. Just watch me do it. Okay, you go do it. Hey, you messed that up. Now let me send more of you to go try again. And then he was saying, hey, uh, by the way, I'm leaving. And I'm going to send you a helper. Who's, you're going to do greater things than I ever did. And then he went home. And now he's saying, hey, go do it. Like, everywhere. Go make me famous everywhere. Amen. And that's our job. So he is still our uh, model for ministry. There are numerous in instances in 
scripture where Jesus encounters the demonized. And there are six things, and there's probably more, but I just pulled up six things through all these random encounters that Jesus had, because I don't want to just isolate one instance and say, hey, we're going to build our whole ministry off this one thing he did. I tried to look at a lot of different instances where he's, he's casting out demons, and I'm just asking the question, what did he do? What happened here, and what can we pull from it? So you can write these down. Again, I'm sending them out. I don't want you to miss what's being said because you're writing, but just six things that I see Jesus doing when he's involved in ministry. And some of the scripture will be on the screen. Some of it you'll just have to get from the midweek or jot it down. Number one, he secures the name of the demon or seeks to identify the spirit. An example of this, Mark 5, 9, it says, and he, Jesus, was asking him, what is your name? And he, the demon, uh, or plural demons, said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, you can ask the question, why did Jesus do this? Uh, perhaps to gain control over it, I don't know, or perhaps to let all uh, know the full extent of the demonic power he was confronting, or perhaps to reveal to the man himself how serious his condition was. This idea, Legion referred to like a Roman cavalry or whatever of 6,000. So there could have been up to 6,000 demons within this one man. And don't forget, this guy was seriously demonized, right? He was overpowering, breaking chains and shackles. He was cutting his flesh with stone. He lived literally in the tombs, like out of control, out of mind, completely demonized. But number one, Jesus secures the name of the demon or tries to identify the spirit. Number two, he binds the spirit. He prohibits it from some activity and thus curbs or breaks its power. Right? You can see an example of that in Matthew 12, 29, where he talks about the strong man. He says, or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? The strong man in this, in this story is, is the devil. Then, <clears throat> indeed, he may blunder, plunder his house. So the first we see Jesus secure the name of the demon. We see him bind the spirit. Number three, he rebukes the spirit, or he censors it, or warns it, or denounces the demon. We see this in Mark uh, 1 25, and it says, And Jesus rebuked him, the demon, saying, Be quiet and come out. I mean, essentially, he's saying, Hey, shush and go. Um, yeah, shush. He rebukes the spirit. Number four, we see Jesus silence the demon. We see this in Mark 1 34, and it reads, He healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he said, <clears throat> and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So he silenced them. I mean, hey, again, hush, do not talk and leave. Uh, number five, what I just said, he cast them out. We see this in uh, Matthew eight sixteen. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Amen. Amen. Come on, Lord. He's still in that business, people. Yeah. Number six, he refused to let the spirits return. I love this. Yeah. This is in Mark, uh, I think, 9, 25? Uh, is that up here? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. Yeah. Amen. I would say, a lot of people ask, man, when we cast out demons, what sh where should we cast them? I would just say what Jesus says here. Yeah. I cast you out and do not come back again. Never enter him or her 
again in Jesus' name. So again, let me just run through those one more time. He secures the name of the demon or seeks to identify the spirit. He binds the spirit. He rebukes the spirit. He silences the demon. Uh, he casts them out, and he refuses to let or refused to let the spirit return. Just some additional uh, observations on Jesus' approach that you might want to jot down or just be aware of. One of them, it comes in Mark 9 when, they, uh, when the disciples were struggling <clears throat> or the lack of faith, dealing with the boy. And, and Jesus says something. Uh, do you remember what he says when, when he gets on the scene? What was that? Well, okay. Yes. When, when they say, hey, your disciples couldn't get this, they, they, could, he could, they couldn't help. They couldn't cast us out. He says, prayer and fasting. He said, he, when they are asking him, like, what happened? He said, this one only comes out by much prayer. And some manuscripts have fasting as well. By much prayer and fasting, which is interesting. <clears throat> this is intriguing. This is something I found in my studies. There is not a single other instance of deliverance by prayer in the New Testament other than this particular instance. Not a single one. Deliverance elsewhere always occurred by a word of command. Get out in Jesus' name. There was no, hey, let's close our eyes and pray in this, this circle. And God, we just ask that you, you just get this demon out of him. We just don't see that in, our, in the New Testament. No other place does Jesus refer to. This one only comes out by much prayer and fasting. This is the only instance. Everywhere else, it's by word of command, which is an interesting uh, just a side note, when we talk about deliverance ministry, and maybe some of you are like, yeah, man, I, I would love to go through some deliverance ministry, and I'll, I'll say a lot to that. There's no shame in that. I will go through deliverance ministry just to make, I just want to clean the house. I want to, and when I explain what we do through deliverance, it, hopefully it takes off some of the scary and the ugly off of it. Uh, because it, it doesn't mean you're less spiritual. It doesn't mean you're more sinful, you're more dirty, all these other things. That is just simply not true. In fact, those who love Jesus, I would expect to be like, hey, let me do some of that. I, you can go ahead. Let's pray. I, I want you to walk me through. I'll confess in whatever needs to happen. I'll close every door. I want to make sure I'm standing firm. And so when, I, when we talk about prayer and fasting and, and when we get to the place as a church where we start scheduling those out, where a lot of you say, hey, I, I just want to, I have a friend. Can, can I bring a friend? Uh, we want to do like a deliverance session. Uh, in the future, we'll, we'll try to schedule those. Uh, we do some on the spot, like during the outpouring, guy manifests over here, well, you can't schedule that when it's happening, so we need to deal with it, right? We just, we have to confront it, and we want to do it in a priving and honoring way, but for those other ones, we want to try to schedule so that the prayer ministry team has time to pray and fast, so that whatever is encountered will be dealt with. Second uh, observation, uh, even for Jesus, you need to hear this, even for Jesus, the deliverance was not always instantaneous or without considerable resistance. There were several times where he said, get out, and it didn't just leave immediately. The, with Mark 5, with the demoniac, he said, get out, and then it, it, they go on to have this conversation. The demon literally negotiates to go into pigs. Like, there was some resistance. With the boy, he says, get out, and it literally like, convulses and throws him down. And like, There's some problems, and then it leaves. And I just say that to say, like, in deliverance, sessions, don't be discouraged. Just because it's not an instantaneous, immediate deliverance, press in. And, and there's actually a really interesting word uh, from a pastor that I really respect. Uh, I'll read it regarding uh, that very thing, that it may not happen immediately. He says this, our approach should not be 
speak the word of command in Jesus' name and it is done, which usually leads to frustration and disillusionment. Our approach should be speak the word of command in Jesus' name until it is done. So he's saying, when you're dealing with that deliverance session, you're speaking in Jesus, the word of command in Jesus' name, leave. And some people will say, I said it, it's done. And it can lead some people to frustration. It's like, no, actually, I'm not delivered. Like, what's going on? He's saying, don't just speak the word of command and it is done. But he's saying, speak the word of command until it is done. Sometimes you've got to press in and keep going. Uh, some of the sessions I've been a part of, uh, it has been through, you know, you've got to keep going until this thing leaves. The beautiful part is we do have authority, and it does obey. But you have to work it. I know what some of you are thinking. Again, I just walked through Jesus' ministry, and, and some of you, if you're like me, you think, well, that's Jesus. He's Jesus, right? Uh, the reality is, going back to what Clint mentioned earlier in Mark 16, Jesus trained his disciples to do it, and then he put the call on the church in Mark 16, which, again, for some of you, may be an uncomfortable commission, but uh, I, I'm sorry. We just have to deal with it. Like, this is our commission from Jesus, so we do it. It says in Mark 16, verse 17 through 18, it says this, and these signs will accompany those who believe. These signs will accompany who? Those who believe in Jesus. That's what he's referring to. Those who believe in Jesus, these signs will accompany them. In my name, they will Before that, in my name, they will cast out demons, and they will speak in new tongues, and they will, <coughs> they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. There's a lot of uncomfortable stuff in that passage. Okay, I get it. But what I want to point to is the fact that this is Jesus' one of his commissions to the church, that those who believe these signs Will accompany. Whether you've ever experienced anything written here, my hope is that your heart says, I want to experience all of it. I, look, we're not handling snakes in here. Get over it. I'm not doing that. I believe the word of God, okay? I'm not drinking any poison. What was that? Wrong church. <laughs> Wrong church. <laughs> I do believe that we could cast out demons. I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in all these things. And the only reason I point to it is I want you to not use the excuse, well, that was Jesus. He did those things. Remember, he came to show us, to model for us, and then to help us, and then he released us. And this is our responsibility. This is what we're after now. But let's take a quick look. And I'm only, I mean quick, only two passages. Just in the, 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 the book of Acts, this is the Acts of the Apostles and the church, not just the Apostles. But I want you just to see everyday people that aren't Jesus doing the very same things. Acts chapter 5, 16, says the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and all were healed. Now, let me ask a question. Was Jesus on the scene in person in Acts 5? No. Who was doing this? I mean, nobody's really saying it confidently. Like, eh, eh. The early church? <laughs> yeah, Peter. Yeah, people who are not Jesus is the answer. But people who follow Jesus and who are filled with his spirit, right? This is post-Pentecost. I know this seems elementary, but I'm trying to get across to that one person in the room who's still in that corner saying, that was reserved for Jesus. That was reserved. He did that because he's Jesus. Acts 16, 
16 through 18. It says this, As they were going to the place of prayer, they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought, <clears throat> and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. By the way, evil spirit, making her do things that she should not be able to do. Right? Verse 17, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Which is interesting because that's true. But Paul, being Paul, it says this. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now that's Paul who never met Jesus in the flesh. He was radically encountered by the Lord, who blinded him and changed his life, right? If your story doesn't resonate with him, we need to talk afterwards, but I was also uh, opposed to him. I was very much Saul who became Paul. I was, I mean, what scripture said, I was an enemy of the cross. I was a child of wrath. I was caught up in the world. I was doing my own thing, running my own race, and Jesus encountered me, and he said, hey, no, it's, it's actually my this is my story, and you're a part of it. You're not the main character I am, and I want, you to, I want to use you for my glory. And he's saying the same thing to you guys. And we can be, like I said earlier, this is Acts 16. Our lives are writing out Acts chapter 29. If you don't know, the, the book of Acts has 28 chapters. That's why I say our lives are writing the 29th chapter. What God is doing through us will be told for generations and generations and generations. Not for us, but for his glory. If you guys believe what's prophesied over our city, that this will be a city of a great revival, Amen. man, people will be reading about this forever. And hopefully we will be able to sustain a revival that will shake the world. Amen. And hopefully usher in our king. I mean, there's stuff happening all over the world. Everyone's saying the end is coming. Like, come on, baby. Bring that revival, Lord. That provokes the Jews to jealousy. And let's see this great Jew revival that is the last great revival, right? Okay, that's not in my notes. Let's go. So we just looked at a couple of different things from just the New Testament in the book of Acts that weren't Jesus, but his people who were responding to this commission. Go and be my witnesses. Well, when you're his witness, it's not always going to be just a, 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 an easy proclamation of the gospel. Sometimes you're going to get met with some resistance. That was, yeah, some resistance. And sometimes it's not always going to be kind to you. And what we're talking about today is what do we do when that happens? Uh, so I think it's safe to say after all the amens and the claps and the smiles and the head nodding that I see that we would all stand in agreement that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Okay, because that's, that's the church we are. We don't believe he was yesterday and then he changed somehow and now he's different. We believe the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? Would we all agree that Jesus came, Isaiah 61, to free the captives, yeah. right? He was the, the Spirit of a God, the spirit, the spirit of the Lord anointed him to free the captives, yeah. to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Do we stand in agreement that he is uh, <clears throat> now doing that ministry in and through his church? Yeah. Okay. That we are called and equipped to engage in the ministry? Yeah. There's only like three people. Danae is on it today. She is just, she's had her coffee and she's locked in. I'm glad. Yes, Danae. Do we agree that spiritual warfare is real? Yes. 
There should, everyone should say yes. If you've been here for any amount of weeks, you should say yes. Do we believe that Christians can be demonized? Yes. Okay, that was a surprise. I, I didn't think some of you were convinced yet, even though we walked through a lot of what Scripture has to say about it. I would agree, yes, they can be. If what Scripture says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, that promises for believers. But the whole idea is what happens to that believer if he doesn't resist the devil? Or to the one that says, hey, suit up in the full armor of God that you may stand against the schemes and the fiery darts. What happens, beloved, if you don't suit up in the full armor? You're left vulnerable. Or in Ephesians 4 where he says, give the devil no opportunity, or in the Greek, a foothold, or a door that Nate walked through several weeks. All these doors, give him no opportunity. Well, what happens to us? that leave the door wide open. <laughs> yeah. If we agree that, to all the things I just said, then I want to spend the rest of our time today, just a few minutes, talking through what do I do if, if I or someone I know is struggling with demonic oppression. Me or someone I know has left the door open and the enemy has a foothold in my life and I'm tired of it. And I want freedom. What do we do? How do we handle it? What does that even look like? What does deliverance look like? I'm asking you, what does it look like? I'm just kidding. What it doesn't look like, let me just say this, is it doesn't look like you getting embarrassed in front of the congregation or in front of the family. It does not look like that. It does not look like you coming up here and me yelling at you, screaming at you, pushing you around. That's not what it looks like. Now, I will say, side note, I have seen some power encounters that, were, that made me uncomfortable, but were effective. You need to understand that, beloved, that there's not just a one-size-fits-all. There is a guy over here that will scream, out, out, and I've seen it work. I've seen people fall out and the demonic leave in Jesus' name, and I've seen the guy over here sitting on a couch in the most gentle, loving way, someone taking them by the hand and walking them to freedom. Yeah. Two wildly different experiences. Both, the person ended up free. So don't, for a second, I do not want to breed a Christian out of this faith family that is judgmental. That when you see somebody screaming, you got to understand, the guy that's screaming out over here, that it, he's just doing what he's been taught. And guess what? He has a heart for this person to yeah. be free. The same with this person over here on the couch that's crying with you and is just burning through tissues and holding you so tenderly and walking you to freedom is doing what they've been taught and has a heart for the person to be free, which don't miss that anointing for this type of ministry is compassion. You have to have compassion for the person that you are walking with. One of the questions before we get into this quick model is what is the difference between someone sitting with you in need of deliverance versus someone who just needs to repent? Have you ever ran across somebody who every time they sin, they feel like they need to be delivered? Like it's just like, hey, every day of the week, you don't need deliverance. But some people walk around saying, hey, I, I messed up, man. I, I was angry with my wife last night. I need to be delivered. I got a demon of anger. It gets exhausting. It happens. It happens. More than, you, more than you know. I'll just leave it at that. For example, 
<laughs> Some things are choices. For example, uh, I, get, I, I meet with people all week long. I love meeting with people. I love, there's a shepherding, about shepherding God's people that I love. And sometimes people will ask me, man, I feel like I need to be delivered, man. I'm just struggling. Struggling, man. I'm struggling in my walk with Jesus. I don't immediately say, well, you need to be delivered from a demon. I may start with saying, hey, how are you abiding? What's that look like in your life? Well, I don't have time for that right now. I haven't read the Bible in a couple months, and my prayer life is hit or miss. I say, man, I, I, I don't think you need deliverance. I think you need discipline. I think you need to learn how to wake up and actually prioritize your relationship with Jesus. Amen. Or to the guy that's like, man, I, I, I sinned again, I sinned again. It's okay to say, hey, let's pray. And together, let's, let's just repent and confess sin together, right? And if it leads to something, I, I'm not saying there's not demonic involved in that, right? I believe behind every sin and temptation there is, there is someone who's out to still kill and destroy. But what I'm trying to get across is there is some differences. There, it's not always a need for a deliverance session, which requires some discernment. And praise God, he gives a gift called discerning of the spirits, uh, and which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Now, with that being said, I, I know that one of the questions submitted is, how do I know if I need deliverance? What, how do I know if I or someone around me needs deliverance? I will send these out in midweek, but you can write some of them down. I'm going to give you four things, or five things, um, that if ring true to you, if they ring true to you, a deliverance session might be beneficial. And let me reiterate, just because you do a deliverance session does not make you less than anybody in the room. It makes you responsible, and you, it makes you wanting to care for your heart and your soul and make sure you want to clean your house. There's nothing wrong with saying, can I meet with some prayer ministers to walk through this? I just want to, you know, even if it's just I want to be on the safe side. At the end of that session, you're going to be blessed and prayed for more than you were before you walked in the room. And they'll probably speak over your life. I, I'm just saying. So there's no shame in walking through a deliverance session. But if you're, if you're just wondering, if, if you're considering, man, is this, am I dealing with demon, uh, demonic oppression or whatever? Let me ask these questions. Uh, and if you're considering this for yourself or a loved one, ask the following. Number one. Are there behaviors or issues that you know <clears throat> are wrong, but you can't seem to get victory over them? I'll read that again. Are there behaviors or issues that you know are wrong, but that you cannot get victory over? You just seem like you just can't get past this, whatever it is. Number two, have you had repeated prayer ministry or some kind of counseling and not seen much in the way of lasting victory? You're like, man, I had someone pray for me about this, and I just can't seem to overcome it. It's similar to the first one. Number three, do you sometimes sense that the problem isn't you, but rather something in you? Do you ever sense that whatever you may be struggling with or someone that you know is struggling with, that maybe it's not them, but it's something in them? Number four. Are you having spiritual encounters, including reoccurring dreams or nightmares that, ha that leave you fearful? This one's super common. I, I have people talk to me about this all the time. Do you have reoccurring spiritual encounters, dreams or nightmares that leave you fearful? And again, as I say these things, if something resonates with you and you're like, oh, I made a face, he knows that, he knows that I'm struggling with that. There's no shame in these things. I want you free. I don't care how you feel about it. I want you free. Amen. If you're having nightmares... 
man, who cares? Like, I, want, I want to see you no longer have nightmares. That's, that's my heart for you. Number five, feeling, do you, feelings of defeat or anger at God, the church, yourself, that you are not seeing progress in some area of your life that you have, <clears throat> that you, that you have put before the Lord. So feeling defeated or angry at God, the church, or yourself, that you are not seeing progress in some area of your life that you have put before the Lord. If you're here and one or maybe all of those indicators ring true for you, meeting with trusted brothers and sisters uh, to be ministered to, I think, would be beneficial to you. I, I would say don't sit on that. Don't like, uh, just let it continue. Like, Take a stand for your own heart and your mind and, and, and start fighting. Everything we talked about, this whole thing of spiritual warfare is you have armor and you can make war. And, and my, my advice to you is, let some other brothers and sisters who love you make war with you. And they'll come alongside of you and we'll deal with this. So let's just say you're in the room and you say, yes, man, I'm dealing with that. I think I need to, to, to walk into some deliverance. Like, what does that look like? What does a de- deliverance session look like? I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. Let me, let me break some of that down. And let me just reiterate, I know this is like, Awkward and tough. This is not an easy thing to just, let's preach about people being demonized. Uh, but it is, fun to be, it is fun to talk about people being free. That's what I want to focus on, just the freedom of people. So let me say this about deliverance. There are hundreds of deliverance ministries. I mentioned this at the beginning. Um, and almost all of the deliverance ministries I know do it different. There's power encounters. There's truth encounters. There's love encounters. There's all kinds of encounters, right? All with the same heart to see people free all operating in the same authority in Jesus' name. Now, I will not put my stamp on all of them. So if there's like a deliverance ministry, you're like, hey, man, I love this. Like, sure, pass it to me and Nate, and we'll let you know like what we think. But yes, Rachel. Yeah, so she, she's talking about healing, and you see that in Scripture, actually. I, several of the Scripture references, uh, and it's actually a question that someone asked about, is every demonic, you know, oppression or attack, it, is it linked to, or is every sickness demonically influenced? Like, is, is every sickness a demon? And what she's talking about is, oftentimes when you walk through deliverance, and, and you're being delivered, a lot of times it will lead to a healing, you, you'll Inner healing, physical healing, you'll see some healing. Uh, it's not uncommon. So, yeah, Rachel, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, but like I was saying, there's, there's all kinds of different deliverance ministries and styles. Uh, and if you're being, I said this earlier, if you're being asked for money or put in an uncomfortable situation, run. Just get out of there and have nothing to do with it. Jesus' ministry was free, it was loving, and it was gentle. And deliverance ministry can be that as well. Okay, that is not to put down power encounters. I, I'm all for it. I mean, sometimes when I get in the ring, you know, and people are, I, I get hyped up, and I'm just, I want to pray for people, and sometimes I pray loud, like and Nate, Nate alluded to it last week. When we pray at a louder decibel, doesn't, doesn't increase our authority. The enemy's not deaf, and neither is the Lord, right? We don't need to scream. But remember this. Uh, when it comes to seeing someone freed from demonic oppression or demonization, you must have the person 
at heart. You have to have, you have to, again, it goes back to compassion and to 1 Corinthians 13, right? What's sandwiched between the spiritual gifts and just operating in ministry in general is between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is 1 Corinthians 13, which has everything to do with love. Like if you don't have love for the person, it doesn't matter what awesome thing you're doing in the, in the ministry, in the spirit, like it's like a noisy gong. It's for not. And the same thing with, with deliverance ministry. We have to love. Love has to be the atmosphere in which we are doing whatever it is we're doing in Jesus' name and, combat, and compassion for the person. All right, finally, let me just run through this. A, a practical model for deliverance ministry, and I'll say this. We are working behind the scenes right now, putting together, just based on other deliverance ministry stuff that we see that we really love, we're putting together kind of a manual for how Phoenix will do it, how we will train you up, prayer and ministry team, how we will train people to engage in deliverance ministry. And so some of this may be reflected, but this is just a simple, practical model for deliverance. So if you have a pencil, pen, whatever, write it. Number one, pray for discernment. I will say this, especially as you begin in this type of ministry, it is, it's actually kind of valuable to have somebody skilled in deliverance, or at least uh, that's had some experience in deliverance ministry and gifted with discernment present with you. But let me say this, but it's not a requirement. If you can't find somebody that will tag along, it's not a requirement. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have compassion? Do you love the person? You're qualified, all right? You just gather a couple other people. I don't recommend you do it alone. I, I, I do recommend two or more. Well, two probably is enough. But always have at least two. Yeah. Right? You want, you want to have somebody kind of leading charge on, on dealing with the person, the other person just interceding and praying for the situation, right. praying for their heart, praying for Holy Spirit to reveal whatever, whatever may be going on. Um, but you yeah, so number one is pray for discernment. And if you... We're curious, the, the spiritual gift for discerning the spirits is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's one of those presents that's under the tree, so to speak, that the Lord says, earnestly desire these things. And I think in different situations, he will give it to you as you step in obedience. And it really is the gift of discerning whether or not what is happening in this situation is of Holy Spirit or of some other spirit or the human spirit. So it's, it's, it is just super valuable. Have you ever been around somebody that has the gift? You know, you're... Maybe here, you're somewhere else, and they just look over and say, something's off. Yeah. Something is off in the room. And, you know, you're like, what, man, did you, like, you need to use the bathroom? Like, what's, what's going on? And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, something is wrong in the room. Yeah. Like, I, there's people that I know that are like that. They just literally, and, and it's, it's kind of a treasure hunt, honestly. And I love that gift because then it gives you that spiritual, you just get to suit up, and you're like, Jesus, we're coming to you right now against whatever is here that does not belong. And you get to make war. So discernment cannot be uh, overemphasized in these situations. Just some, some steps in the process of discernment as some of you may be processing and thinking through, oh, well, okay, what do we do in that situation? Well, number one, you want to pray. This is still under number one, under pray, you know, pray for discernment. You want to pray for the Holy Spirit to open your spiritual eyes and to speak to you regarding the individual. Because when you address, like Jesus, address the Spirit, you may say, you may try to, you may try to get the name or try to identify the Spirit. Well, just remember that his, his name is the, the father of lies. So oftentimes uh, he won't respond or he'll lie. And you know who doesn't lie? is the Holy Spirit. And you can say, Holy Spirit, I'm having trouble here. What, can you just reveal to me what's going on in, in, in so-and-so's life? And just listen. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit may say. So <clears throat> when it comes to discernment, you're praying, open my spiritual eyes, Lord, and speak to me regarding this individual. 
You want to pray. This is one that I did not do that I learned the hard way. Um, in deliverance sessions, you want to pray with your eyes open. That's really uncomfortable for me. I've always, I just learned you just close your eyes and pray. Um, until I remember praying, <laughs> I remember praying over, I was praying for this lady in Uganda that slapped Nate, uh, who was clearly demonized. And I was like, my eyes were not open, Nate's were. And I'm praying, and I open them, and I just, you know, I hear the, <laughs> like, eyes open. Nate's got eyes open a little bit. He's still kind of engaged, just staring at her. In deliverance sessions, keep your eyes open. If you're like me, you just need to be told it's not unspiritual to pray with your eyes open. Your prayers aren't less effective. But what you're looking at, as you pray with someone who really does have a demon, oftentimes you will see manifestations. Eyes will roll, or they'll just kind of look, they'll, you'll start to see physical manifestations. And you don't freak out, you're just looking. Don't forget, in that moment, you see something happening. I can remember the first time I saw eyes kind of rolling. I'm like, whoa, like, what's about to happen, man? And just have to be reminded, I have victory over you. He that is in me is greater than what's going on here, and you're about to get kicked out, so just hang tight. Like, you just remember that, okay? You're praying for discernment. Pray with your eyes open. Number two, you want to instruct the person. This is important. Because most of us, if we were asked to, you know, if, if we were going to a deliverance session, have zero clue what's happening, right? There's a bit of anxiety to that. Like, okay, what's about to happen? You want to take time to explain to the individual, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why to alleviate some fear. Hey, I love you. I, I was in a, a session with Daniel. I remember him telling the, the young man before we started, hey, I love you, man. This, we're for you here. Just, you can almost see it on his demeanor. Okay, I could, you know, they just want to build that trust. I'm here for you. I, I'm not here to do anything. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help. Yeah. Explain to them that if <clears throat> they have a demon, underline the if, this does not mean, I said this earlier, they're dirty, more sinful uh, than other Christians, uh, subspiritual or unloved by God. We just need to be told that. Because there's a bit of an ugly on this idea of being demonized or having a demon. That just seems weird. But we need to let them know that's not weird. It's spiritual. And it's, it, there is an enemy that's out to get us, right? But he has no power. And we're about to show you that, right? We're about to put him in submission here. So, and, and then under number two, when we talk about just instruct the person. Instruct them to cooperate with what's happening. You want to give feedback. Hey, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? Physical sensations, intrusive thoughts, violent, sinful impulses. What's going on? You want to just walk them through this process. Number three, and this is important too, you want to articulate your authority in Jesus Christ. Begin by verbally declaring the authority of Christ and <clears throat> his supremacy over all demonic spirits. You can read aloud Things like Luke 10, uh, what I read at the beginning, 17 through 18, where we're going to trample on you and no power of the enemy will overcome us. Right? You want to read things like that. Ephesians 1, 15 through uh, 23 or Colossians 2, 9 through 15. Just reminding whatever's in our, 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 our beloved friend that he that's in us is greater. Yeah. And you're about, to, you're about to get vacated. Like It's over for you. Just reminding them. Read aloud. right? Read aloud scripture. Pray out loud. Oftentimes, those things will agitate the enemy. Uh, number four, explore the possibility, uh, explore possibilities other than demonic causes, right? Again, I alluded to this. Never assume too quickly that the problem is, a, is demonically caused. Yeah. And I mean this. I, you may want to ask, you may want to do a little bit of an interview just asking questions of them. Hey, 
you know, are there any potential sources like physiological, I don't know, have you had a physical examination recently? Uh, are you on prescription drugs? Any organic causes, stress, fatigue, circumstances, issues, all those things. You just want to ask them. What's, you want to get to know the person that you're walking with. And just know, be aware that, you know, that even if, it's, if, if whatever is, is, is causing the problem within them is not demonically, like, uh, initiated, it can be agitated. It can be, you know, it, the, the, the demonic can play a factor in that situation. So I'm not just excusing it altogether. But number four is just explore all the possibilities. You want to interview, you want to know what's going on with this person, which is a part of loving them and caring for them, and so they can build a bit of trust with you. Number five, ask the right questions. This is, this is hugely important, and I've, I've experienced this in almost every deliverance I've been a part of. Ask the person to give you the personal testimony of faith in Christ. This is huge. I've seen so many say, hey, who is Jesus to you? Or if they can't get anything, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And you'll see people like, like just do different things, right? If there is a demon involved. I know that sounds weird and it sounds, but it's real. I, I want you to know that. But you want to have them express their faith. Do they struggle to do so? Are they able to affirm without any hesitation, their submission to, 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 to Jesus' lordship. Uh, ask the person if they have experienced any special hindrances uh, when they engage in spiritual activities like praying or reading the Bible. You will see that often. Like, man, they just struggle. When they go to read the Bible, they just get a, a cloudy, like they, they just can't even comprehend. They don't know what's going on. They, there's something keeping them from engaging in prayer. All of those things are signs of something that may be taking place when it comes to demonic oppression. Uh, determine as best you can if the behavior or belief of the person may be from an open door. And this one, you'll spend a, a, a good minute of time in your deliverance session on this. Uh, this is walking through your family history, right? You want to explore, are there any doors open? Have you opened any doors in your life? Things like shame, substance abuse, sexual perversion, pornography, trauma, uh, personal sin, habitual sin, Right? And if, if things come up and they're like, yeah, man, you're going to spend some time together and they're just going to repent. And what you're doing, you know, is literally just shutting that door and saying, okay, this one's open. We're going to, we're going to, is there anyone in your life you haven't forget, forgiven? I mean, I was in a session with a guy. I didn't think it was going to end. Like he just kept, and every time he said, no, there's no one else I can think of. And we would just say, hey man, just close your eyes and ask the Lord. Is there anybody else that you need to forgive? It, it, literally it would take a second. He'd be like, here, I got another person. I mean, it's just over and over. This dude held so much bitter, bitterness. Was, had taken root, and it was growing oaks of just evil in his life. And, he, man, it was so beautiful to see him one by one just pulling the roots up and to see his demeanor change. Were we doing anything crazy? Was I waving something over him and poking a doll? I wasn't doing anything. We were just saying, do you have somebody to forgive? Yes. Walk through. And leading them through forgiveness. Sin. Host of sin. Great. We're going to go one by one, and we're going to shut every door to all of it. We're literally telling the enemy, that door's shut. You can't come there anymore. That door's shut. That door's shut. That door's shut. Guess what? All the doors shut. You have nowhere to go. Out in Jesus' name. And there's freedom. It's wild. Again, if something in particular is discovered, lead the person in a prayer of confession and repentance of whatever it is that they may have allowed. Man, just whatever door is open, you're just walking them gently to shut that door. In the short term, you lead, them, uh, you lead them in a prayer by which they close any door that they've opened. And again, I want you, 
just, you need to overemphasize, they need to help you in this. You, beloved, don't do all the talking and all the leading. They must participate in this process. You want them to verbally say, I no longer want to come into agreement with this over my life. I forgive my mom for this or my PET, whatever it is. You forgive, you make them say it, right? You're not doing it for them. They must participate in the process. And I hope you guys are paying attention because there's going to come moments in your life, even in the weeks to come, where we may even need you to say, hey, will you walk with it? Will you, would you sit in with this session and just, would you pray or would you help lead in this? We need you, beloved. The whole point of this is to equip you for the saint, for, for, to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. All right, that was number five. So number five was ask the right questions, right? You're closing all the doors. You're wanting to know, do they really belong to Jesus? You're, you're asking good questions. And then comes the number six, confront the enemy, all right? He has no more doors. He has no more rights. You engage the person in eye-to-eye contact. You're looking at them, right? Explain to them that whereas you may be looking at them, you're not talking to them. You're talking to whatever is trying to hurt them, whatever is trying to oppress them, okay? That's, it's awkward, but this is, this is our model from Scripture. So I was looking at, looking at faith. I say, faith, I love you. I'm looking at you, but I'm talking to whatever's trying to hurt my sister, okay? And you address it. Look directly in their eyes, and, and you can literally... Pray something like this. In the name of the Lord Jesus and through the power of his shed blood and resurrection life, I take authority over any demonic spirit either present in or around Stephen. And in the name of Jesus, I command any and every demonic spirit to leave Stephen and never return. Amen. Amen. That simple. That simple. And if there's anything present, it should go. Yeah. (laughs) Which leads me to number seven. Number seven is just assess the situation, right? One of three things is true in this situation, and this is important for you to realize so you don't feel like a failure or frustrated. Either number one, the demons left or the demon left. And let me just say this about, uh, there was a question about this on, that was submitted to the church. When a demon leaves, like, does there have to be vomiting? Who, Who just said that? Okay, good. Yeah. Look, I agree with you. I just wonder who responded so quickly and confidently. Yeah. Look, let me be honest with you. Departures can be loud. They can be violent. They can be visible, but they can be silent. They can be simple, and they can even be unseen. Don't be too quick to draw conclusions about whether it, it, was, it lifted based on how the person reacts. Uh, if you suspect it might still be present... Repeat the process I just gave you, right? So number one, the demon left, and it may be a physical, they may be like, man, I need a trash can. I feel like I'm about to throw up, which I've seen happen before. Or it may be a violent, just weeping and crying, and they just, man, they weep for what seems like hours, and you're just there with them. like. And part of that is they know they're free, and they're just rejoicing, and they're joyful. Sometimes there's a screech, a scream, whatever. Sometimes they're just like, yeah, I feel free, man. That simple, all right? So either the demon's left, number two, the demon is still there, or number three, there was never a demon there in the first place. But let me say something to the last thing. Even if there wasn't a demon there, you just walk that person through confessing sin, releasing forgiveness, 
You walk them through shutting all of these awesome, you, I mean, you walk them through shutting all these doors, that's going to lead them to a healthier person anyways. Which is why oftentimes when they talk about deliverance, it's often deliverance and inner healing. Because the people walk away, man, they've been blessed by their brothers and sisters. People that took time out of their schedule to walk with them. And they've just, man, they've just released and confessed sin. There's just nothing wrong with that. But here's the deal. I want to encourage you to, to, to partake in the, that ministry, right? Like if you feel like something is bothering you, oppressing you, you identify with one of the five things I read, or you just feel like you can't overcome a sin in your life or whatever the circumstance may, may be. I, my challenge to you, beloved, just everybody would just take a second, look at me, is to be bold. It's to take authority over your own life, your own family, take responsibility and say, man, I want to experience some freedom here. I'm, I don't want to deal with this. And there's no shame. None of us are going to say, oh, that person wants to be free. Oh, what a loser. No, that's not what we're going to say. But most of us, if we're honest, are going to say, I wish I had the boldness to step forward. I wish I didn't deal so strongly with the fear of man. Well, I'm giving you permission this morning. Put aside the fear of man. Come under the fear of God and say, Jesus, I want to be everything you've asked me to be. And if there's something in the way, get it out of the way. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Phoenix Athens podcast. Be on the lookout for the Next Step challenges and bonus episodes. You can find additional ways to engage with our church on Facebook, Instagram, and our website linked below.